Welcome to Built Modular, a Vanguard Modular podcast. We'll help you discover just how flexible modular construction has become and how it is helping make life better for real people facing real space challenges. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Built Modular, a podcast by Vanguard Modular Building Systems. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and thank you so much for tuning in to this first episode of our podcast. I encourage you to head to our website and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to your podcast content for upcoming episodes as we continue to dive into trends in the modular building industry. So on today's podcast, we're exploring the growing industry of temporary modular construction. Our current economic and historical moment is making the case for quick, sturdy, and temporary development of buildings across industry. From COVID-19 testing and screening sites, to school renovation, to replacing business infrastructure from the 80s and 90s, the construction method continues to gain popularity. And not for nothing, the broader modular construction industry is on a steady growth path, with a report showing and pointing out a potential $191 billion market by 2027, with a growth rate of about 6.4%. So for a deeper perspective on what is motivating the continued rise of modular construction, temporary modular buildings, and how to get a hold of one of your own if you're looking, we're sitting down with Peter Eberly, president and CEO of Vanguard Modular Building Systems. Peter brings over 20 years of experience in the modular building industry, from managing modular industry companies and honing his expertise in production, delivery, installation, safety, and financing of modular products. All right, Peter Eberly, great to have you on. How are you doing today? Very well, Daniel. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. It's good to be here. Yeah, great to have you on. Really looking forward to pulling from your 20 years of experience on this subject. Let's start by pulling from those 20 years and really the evolution of the modular construction industry. So if you had to compare where modular construction is at today versus where it was at during its earliest mass market days, you know, not the inception of the concept necessarily, but when it was first starting to be introduced as an actual uh, application at scale, what are the differences? How have things changed and evolved? Well, you know, the industry's come a long way. It does go back to the 1920s when Coleman Industries started making diners in uh, New Jersey. And at that point in time, the real focus on modular was uh, the materials that we're starting to use, like stainless steel and formica, which were new materials to the construction industry. And they had trouble finding uh, laborers uh, to perfect that work out in the field. So they decided to do it under one roof. And uh, that's really where it got its start. Now, it really took off in the 80s when classrooms became more modular, acceptive. Um, people looked at it as not only an economic means, but it also provided a tremendous amount of flexibility. And from there, modular went from, okay, this temporary building to where it focused a uh, focus then on uh, modular as a construction methodology. And what can we do with all of this offsite construction that we're doing? You know, how can we make this work into infrastructure? And so it, it's really come from this trailer mentality um, to really now where we're doing multiple stories, you know, fantastic stuff, all glass retail centers, um, you know, just wonderful buildings. We're also doing offshore work. And it's really become accepted uh, internationally as well. So, you know, here in the States, we view this right now as uh, 2020 is about a $5 billion industry. 
So certainly it's growing. Um, you know, again, the methodology has been accepted and we're building our resume with various projects that we put out in the field. Since, you know, those early days of the 20s now to you know, when we talk about modular construction, it's something that is being offered uh, across industries and uh, has found, for example, a lot of use cases in uh, data centers and in the growing tech infrastructure of our country. Uh, people are seeing, you know, value in, hey, let's get this building built quick and and cheap and safely. And modular construction can fit all of those boxes well, though that has clearly developed over time and that efficiency, that low cost and that safety has had to be refined. So could you talk a little bit about how each of those segments has gotten refined over the years to the point where we can even be talking about temporary modular buildings in this mass market way? Sure. It's, it's a, you know, it's a fantastic topic, especially with the various disciplines that are involved. So when you talk about construction speed, typically repetition creates both efficiencies as well as a, an increased standard, um, as well as some speed. So when you're doing these under a roof in a factory, you don't have to worry about the elements. You can build 12 months out of the year. You've got workers that are doing the same tasks over and over again. You know, we think of these as a generic Lego block of maybe 12 feet wide by 60 feet long coming down the line. Now, over time, robotics and, and other uh, mechanical methods of doing things have been introduced. Um, but it's really, you know, that repetition and the speed of bringing a frame through, flooring it, walling it, and moving it down the road. And with the cost effectiveness, obviously, you have the efficiencies. Not only are the factories able to buy in bulk, so they've got a, a raw cost advantage on that, um, but also they're buying uh, the efficiencies of having all the materials at one site, as opposed to the logistical nightmare of trying to coordinate, coordinate a steel delivery to the site, wood, you know, where the temporary toilet's going to go. It's It's this orchestrating a, uh, a nice symphony within the within the factory, if you will. Um, and, and then you look at worker safety as well. You've got a controlled environment. You don't have to worry about the elements. When you're building in the factory, it's single story. So you're not putting a tremendous amount of workers, you know, three, four, five stories um, in the air or higher. And then also a lot of the work that we do is done in the factory. We'd like to call them plug and play. So that basically when you're getting on site, you're putting these together if you're going multiple stories, you might use a crane lift. Um, but for the most part, on a single story, there's no crane involved. Um, there are a lot less workers on the site because most of the work has already been done. You're also uh, doing the site work in parallel with the construction at the factory. So you've got multiple trades, the same number of people um, you know, doing the work, but they're separated from each other. When you talk about the construction speed, too, I think a perfect case uh, study on this is Marriott Hotels. So the majority of Marriott hotels west of Mississippi are now being um, built through modular as the methodology. And Marriott has come out and said that they believe uh, that they are five months faster to revenue or faster to market by using modular. Would you say that uh, the industry as a whole is also seeing growth and sort of reaffirmation through some of the broader green building and eco-conscious business practices that are leading the construction industry? And I guess you could just say business in general. It's, it's following the footsteps um, two ways. You know, number one, when you talk about the broader green building, um, if you take a building and you move that building from point A to point B, I don't think you can get much greener or, or efficient um, in that. You know, you're taking the whole product and moving it. Um, and then also when you look at the construction that we use, the vast majority of this is wood. 
So we're using effective forestry programs, um, you know, a renewable resource on that. And then again, as I mentioned before, because these are factory built and you're, you're buying your raw materials in volume, the waste is dramatically reduced on these buildings. Now, um, you know, an, another thing when you talk about how the industry is evolving and moving forward, there's a whole generation of architects and engineers that have now studied modular construction. You know, earlier in my career, you could not go to school and study modular buildings. They were still thought of as trailers when we had this, um, you know, trailer mentality where everything had a cinder block under the hitch. But now they're reputable courses from very well-known schools across the country that are really elevating modular, again, as the methodology and, and really the benefits of what we can do both on the construction side as well as solving space needs and financial needs. Okay, so if we see all of those benefits in modular construction and it makes so much sense, like you argue, to go modular both for speed, cost, safety, uh, green practices, why the need for temporary modular construction uh, to, to be a part of that conversation? How do the methodologies compare to fixed modular construction when you see growth in temporary modular construction? And does temporary modular construction fit all of those same criteria of benefits? You know, oftentimes somebody will put in a modular building thinking that it's temporary and 15 years later, they're still looking at it thinking that it's still temporary. <laughs> right. um, one of the key components to this is you have to remember both permanent and temporary modular buildings are designed to go down the highway at 70 miles an hour, right? So they're built to last. These are not wobbly boxes. So when you think of something as being a temporary building, one of the considerations that we have is the mobility on that building. So typically on a, on a temporary modular building, you're thinking about single floor, right? We can build multiple stories, but you really have to spend a lot of money, more money, I should say, not a lot of money, but more money on uh, the construction of that first floor so that it supports the second and third floor. And so, yes, you can take them apart and you can move them, but you lose the flexibility. So, you know, with a modular building, when we think of this as temporary and you think of, of, this, of the various situations that it can solve, there are a few that come to mind. So the first is we like to think of this as knowing the story of the building. You know, why does the customer need the building? What are their long-term plans? You know, in the case of a school district that's bursting at the seams, they need a temporary building while they are designing, while they're raising a bond referendum and going through a vote to approve funding, while they construct possibly a stick built building for their long term needs. Now, that being said, a lot of these same communities have learned the lessons of the Northeast. And, you know, many of us went to elementary schools in this double winged four story building that is now a community center or a senior citizen center because the population moved. And so when you think about, you know, what is the story of the building? What is the need for this project, especially with schools? Modular makes a whole lot of sense because of the mobility of the buildings and the flexibility that you have moving them from site to site. So as an example, if you had a tremendous amount of K through five fifth graders, and as they get older, now you need a middle school, you need a high school. And if you're not increasing the, the student body count of those K through fifth graders, you know, you can take that modular building now, move it to the elementary school, and when you're ready, move it to the high school. So oftentimes we put in a modular building under this quote unquote temporary scenario, and the school district figures out that this is a very good long-term need. Now, in certain cases, it'll be swing space. So you might, uh, you, you know, we just might not be able to build the whole building 
um, that a company needs. A perfect example of that would be a manufacturing facility where they might need 36 feet of clear, uh, clear span within the production facility. So while they're moving their engineers and their administrative people, they'll use a modular building as a swing space for maybe a year or two. It puts them on site so they're right there. You don't have to worry about commuting back and forth. And, you know, as that building is constructed and as it's finalized, then they move. We take the building out and we move it to, uh, to a different jurisdiction. One of the, one of the administrative differences of the buildings is that modular buildings are built to state codes. And if you are looking at a temporary building that's going to move, we will typically build that to maybe four, five, or six different state codes. So we'll have four, five, or six labels on those which means when the lease is over and we are moving that building, we have four or five, maybe six states uh, where we can place that building. Now, the other advantage of this too is that if you have a building that's 20,000 square feet, you know, again, thinking of these as giant Lego blocks, at the end of the lease, you don't have to find a home for a 20,000 square foot building. You can move 8,000 over here, 4,000 over here, you know, another 8,000 over there. When you think about this whole thing, you know, what makes sense? Um, going modular, temporary versus permanent, you know, a lot of it could be budget driven as well, uh, where they're just looking for a lease as opposed to buying the building. But again, knowing the story of the building, we look at this as being swing space. Um, we do very well in times when companies are constricting as well as when companies are expanding. So you, you take it as an example in 07, 08, when Detroit was going through their problems and they were closing their plants, they didn't send everybody home. They reassigned people to other sites and they used a tremendous amount of modular buildings to take in those engineers and the other workers that were uh, consolidating to various sites. So again, when you think of this as a methodology, it makes perfect sense for permanent and it makes absolute perfect sense for temporary as well. All right, let's get some examples now of how temporary modular buildings are being used. I, I guess just honestly recently, just so we can get some context, uh, because I think COVID, for example, has really uh, changed the future of how a lot of industries are going to uh, present their services and their solutions. And just, you know, a lot of new use cases coming up out of the blue that weren't use cases a year ago. So what would you say are the main temporary uh, modular building types and uses today? And what are the market or economic dynamics that are making temporary modular buildings more necessary in those main types and uses today? I think the biggest industry that we cater to is education. And that's whether it's public, charter, post-secondary school. The economics are speed. Again, if you know what your student body account is going to be in April, May, or June, you have to be able to re react and you have to be able to react by August. Um, so, you know, the industry has, has served the education market very, very well for decades. Um, in that case, too, it's a matter of budgets. So when people are trying to retain cash, you know, they may not want to spend the money on a permanent uh, building, whether it's modular or permanent sticks and bricks. So they will lease a modular building. It's very cost effective. And again, as we mentioned before, um, it provides you with the greatest amount of flexibility, both physically and economically. Now, currently with COVID-19, we certainly have the need for security checkpoint buildings. You know, you want to have that building outside of your main facility. Um, if you think about some of the workers um, in the uh, food processing industry, right, where they were working side by side and COVID just went rampant throughout the facility, you wouldn't want to have your checkpoint necessarily inside the building. So you put a modular building in the parking lot, that's where people check in. 
Um, they also are putting in modular buildings now for security purposes, unfortunately. Um, you know, we've got a lot of crazy things going on in society today, and the need for security has been emphasized, and you, know, you just pick up the paper almost any week, and you can see a reason why. One of the other uses that we have uh, for modular buildings, which is still very strong, is on military bases. So one of the advantages of a single-story modular building is that you don't have to go into the ground very, very deep for the foundation. So we're not talking about disrupting a lot of earth. You know, the phase one environmental is, is somewhat simplistic. And then when we're done, too, you're not looking at a foundation that's still stuck in the ground. That comes out with us. So, you know, again, when you talk about current environment, what are the needs? Schools, you know, especially with the body count that they have, the student body count and the need for flexibility. You've got hospital slash medical. Um, also, right now, with the number of the big farms doing a lot of uh, research on, on possible vaccines for COVID. You know, they have the need for more space, for more lab technicians very, very quickly. Modular certainly satisfies that need. And then, you know, we always go back to education. You know, the education is, I think, the bread and butter of the industry, just because that has the most amount of, of population movement over time. If you had to, uh, I don't know, give an educated opinion on where you think these market dynamics are going to lead the temporary modular building industry, uh, what would your thoughts be there? How do you see some of these more current market dynamics snowballing into whatever the future of that market looks like? Right, well, you used the correct word, I think, temporary. You know, what my hope is is through this is is that we as a country come up with a plan B. Um, you know, I don't believe it's economically um, sensible for us to be completely prepared for a pandemic at all times. What I do think it makes sense is that we have the means to be prepared and to react quicker should another occurrence of this happen. Um, you know, a lot of requests right now are coming in from schools where they want to keep their students six, six feet apart, where they want to minimize the number of kids that can be in a restroom at a time where they just want to space everything out. And by the time you get to the economics, what you end up finding out is that you're taking a lot of money that could have gone to teacher salaries, to computers, to technology, um, you know, teaching the kids as opposed to spacing them out in a facility. Um, certainly, it's a short-term need. And again, temporary buildings fit that need. But um, I think what a lot of people are going to do, too, now is they're going to learn about modular buildings because they're going to be pressed for speed. And as they do their research, they're going to come across modular buildings. You know, again, I think the mentality from 20 years ago is trailers. Um, we prefer to call them relocatable modular buildings. And they're going to see that the, that the whole industry has stepped up um, in the quality of the building and the whole customer experience. Now, if we look at the use cases for temporary modular buildings, regardless of what's being built, uh, space concerns are always going to be front and center. And that's really true for any architectural construction project, right? It doesn't just have to be for modular buildings. But, uh, you know, I think the concept of space when you have a modular building uh, feels more malleable, like you can do more to address those space concerns. So what are some of the main space concerns that are dictating building trends today, especially with the market dynamics you were just describing at play? And how do you see temporary modular buildings addressing some of those space needs? When I think about space needs, again, I, I, you know, I think about flexibility and your needs today may not be your needs tomorrow. Right. You know, I mentioned before, we consider these as a generic to be a Lego blocks 12 feet wide by 60 feet long. Many of these are clear span. 
uh, meaning that there are no structural members within that 60 foot span. So with respect to interior walls, you can move them around. Um, you know, you can change coverings. It, it's, it's very, very easy to do. They're also ADA compliant. Um, so that has never really been an issue with modular buildings. So, you know, when I think about this and you say, where can you go with a modular building? Again, I always get back to flexibility. So if I build a stick built 30,000 square foot building and I put it in, you know, Jonestown, USA, I am in Jonestown, USA forever. With a modular building, if I need to add to it, I can. If I need to take some of it away, I can. If I need to modify the interior, I can. And if I need to move it completely away, I can. If I need to redress the exterior, um, that's not an issue. And, you know, having watched these things go down the highway at 70 miles an hour, once they're on a site, it is taking, you are taking care of space just like you would conventional office space. So every seven or eight years, you might replace the, the carpeting, you might repaint the walls. Um, but you, you have the ultimate amount of flexibility from a physical standpoint. Now, also, when you're looking at a modular building, you are creating for yourself a financial um, flexible package as well. You can lease them for a shorter term. You can lease them for a longer term. Um, you know, you can provide yourself with purchase options throughout the lease. It really provides you with the ultimate amount of flexibility um, financially as well as from a space standpoint. All right, let's go ahead and walk through the decision-making process for bringing a temporary modular building to life. If they are you know, as flexible and as efficient as claimed, then I would imagine that there are going to be increasing numbers of, I guess, interested parties wanting to try a modular building for their uh, construction needs moving forward. So as that market continues to grow, there's going to be needs for these kind of tutorials and tips. So when you're talking to your clients and you are guiding them to that first step, uh, or at least just unpacking here are the main checkboxes that you need to understand before you move forward with a project. Uh, how do you help them decide each one of these? And I want to start with size first. How, what are the questions you need to ask? What are the things they should be keeping in mind for understanding what's the right size for my temporary modular building? So when you think of a modular building, right, obviously somebody has come up with, with the need. They need space. So most of the size is, is dictated by code, um, you know, the, the amount of space that you need per person, common areas. What we try to do is identify the customer's needs right away. Um, you know, we have the code side taken care of. We're not expecting them to be code compliant uh, experts. So we identify the customer needs with respect to space. Now, the advantage of modular is we can very easily take that customer and instead of saying, let's look at an artist's rendition of what the space may need, you know, let's drive 20 minutes or let's drive 30 minutes and we'll show you a couple of other modular buildings. You can actually walk through, you can touch them, you can see what they feel like, how they operate. Um, an advantage to a lot of the modular companies, especially with Vanguard, is we have a 20-year history. So we have a 20-year library of various buildings that we've done. So when somebody asks for maybe, you know, we come to the conclusion that it's 8,000 square feet. We can show them blueprints and photographs of 8,000 square foot buildings, various applications that we've done, very finished, different finishes that we've put on for them. And, and at the same time, uh, you know, now we've, we, we come to the selection process of what do you want for your finishes, everything that you need. You know, we design an engine or we create an engineering package for them that they will then take for their building permit. 
Um, once we have that engineering package and, you know, once we get a very good uh, feedback from, from the local jurisdiction with respect to a building permit, the modular units are going to be manufactured offsite by a third party factory. If they're new, if they're existing units, they'll either come from an existing site right to that site, or they might be in one of our redeployment yards, in which case we will move them from a redeployment yard right to that site. But the important part on this, when you talk about speed and the customer experience, is they're going to be able to see multiple things going on at, at the same time. They're going to see the site work being done, as well as if they want to travel to the factory, they can see their building being built. You know, so we go through the permit and the approval process. Um, the site development, you know, work is all complete. There might be some changes um, that are taken care of. And when the installation is finally done, you know, the customer takes their occupancy, we go through a very detailed process of walking them through the building to make sure they understand how it operates. You know, it is a little bit different than a stick-built building. And again, it, for them, it's the ability to see a lot of these moving parts at once as opposed to if you were to think of stick-built construction where it's one discipline at a time followed one by one discipline. We're working in par parallel, multiple disciplines to get it done. What about when dealing with building codes? What do your clients often stumble upon or get caught in when trying to maneuver building codes for their municipalities? Uh, and how do temporary modular buildings fit into those legal frameworks? When we design a modular building, we have it wet sealed by an engineer. The architect should be well-versed with the codes. The factories are well-versed with the codes. And then that final engineering package, the blueprints that the building will be built to, will be sealed by a registered engineer. Um, you know, that is saying that it is code compliant. Now, every so often you will get a local code official who might want some changes. And again, because it's a modular building and because you're looking at the whole building in a factory as opposed to, you know, how do I have to change this and what's the dance I do out in the field? Um, we can make those changes at the factory level, and it's very easy to do. You know, with a used building or, or something that has come off lease and we're now going to redeploy it, um, you know, again, we have that the, uh, the drawings that were sealed. Um, we can always get them resealed if we need to. Um, but we are going to deliver a, a complete engineering package to the local jurisdiction um, for their review and approval. Uh, we also spend a lot of time because in certain cases, modular might be new. Um, we do spend a lot of time with the code officials, you know, walking them through, making sure that there are no questions. Um, in the case of a school, we'll meet with the school board, we'll meet with the PTA, just so that there's no false expectations of what's going to arrive. And again, you can go look at existing modular buildings. We've got plenty of photographs of them. And if you want to go to the factory and, and touch the modular building that will be delivered to your site, you're certainly uh, invited to do so. But we view this as a partnership with the customer at every step. You know, we want them to be knowledgeable. We don't expect them to be knowledgeable, but we want them to be knowledgeable. And that allows them to participate in the process. What about materials and design? Uh, for clients, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with uh, aesthetic value as well, even though, you know, aesthetics shouldn't supersede function in any way. Uh, so walk us through what that balance looks like of guiding the client on talking about the right materials for their modular building, the right design and how those intersect. If the modular building is going to be put out for a permanent application, um, the customer can get almost any finish that they want. Right? I mean, they're going to buy it. They're going to own it. Um, we will work with them on maybe some alternatives that might be a little bit easier to work with, um, alternatives that might be less expensive, 
alternatives that other people may have used in place of, of what they're trying to achieve with their finish. Now, again, on a permanent solution, we will look at what buildings we're trying to match up to, and we will do our best to match those as well. If it's a brick facade, in certain cases, glass walls, you know, certain colors uh, and other materials, we want it to fit in. We don't want it to stick out. And that's part of the aesthetics. When you're talking to a customer about a lease, you know, we need to be conscious of the remarketability of the building. So if we go to a school and their colors happen to be, you know, fluorescent yellow and, and purple, um, that might not be a good use uh, of those of the color scheme for the secondary use of the building. So we'll work with them on some sort of compromise. So when you're talking about a permanent building, you have all the flexibility in the world. We like to say that we're only limited by our own creativity in what we can do with a modular building. And on a lease, you know, there's an understanding that this is temporary. In certain cases, you need to almost think of it as an apartment, you know, or as a hotel room where you are staying here. And when you are done, you're going to move out. You will not have any ownership of that. So you can't do a lot of the things that you would do necessarily if you owned that building. To finish on that concept, too, um, you know, with Vanguard Modular, you've got a lot of people that have over two decades of experience. And, and we get excited about doing new projects. Right? Most of us really enjoy at the end of the day being able to look at something that we have physically created and a need um, that we have solved, a space need that we have solved. So, you know, when we get pushed on our professional advancement, um, that's something that we really look forward to as well. For a typical construction project, this next major step, which really includes a lot of little, well, little, I say, I mean, sub steps, they're all very important ones, but this would be the step that would cause the biggest headaches, and that would be the actual installation of the project. Now, when we're dealing with modular construction, especially temporary modular construction, the installation is supposed to be one of the easiest parts. So uh, I'm sure this step flows a little differently than many clients might be used to if this is their first time working with a modular building. So walk us through what that looks like in practice as an end user uh, dealing with the manufacturing, the delivery and the install day of of a temporary modular building. You know, what I what said before is that we have multiple disciplines working in parallel. So the site work is being done, right? The site is secured. We've got our, our security fencing around it. Um, you know, we've done that. And when you, when you are finished with a modular foundation, um, it's going to be poured piers. And then we either put a cinder block stack on it. In certain cases, it would be a poured pier that comes up from grade as well. Um, but when we're done with it, it almost looks like a cemetery with, with tombstones on it. Now, when a building comes in, these are coming in at 720 square feet at a time, right? 12 feet by, by 60 feet. We have the ability to shell out somewhere between 10,000 to 14,000 square feet a day, meaning shell out. We can put the units on the foundation and close them in. Now, we'll still have to finish off the inside, but in many cases, somebody is used to, you know, a very uh, drawn out process if it's stick built. But if we're coordinating this correctly, you know, the units are going to arrive the day before. In certain cases, if it's a multiple unit building, some of the units will be on site as the next set of units is, is being set up. Um, but it's really the amount of speed. And we've had situations where school administrators have planned, you know, to have, have uh, the rest of the administration view the installation. And we're already done. You know, they're walking inside the building looking at being finished out. So it really is speed. And if you think about it, when you can put, you know, shell out 10,000 to, you know, 12,000, 14,000 square foot a day 
um, that's a tremendous speed advantage that you have. And of course, when we're talking about a temporary modular building, then temporary means that the building will eventually come down, right? Or will be uh, uh, broken down, removed, and redeployed somewhere else. What does that process look like for an end user? And is that something they even really need to worry about in the process? Or is that something that a modular building uh, solutions company like Vanguard would take care of top to bottom? We take care of that top to bottom, right? It's, it's uh, well known that at some point in time, the building's going to come apart. Um, and be moved to another location. So basically it's the reverse process. We have temporary shipping walls that are in the building uh, when they come onto the site for the first time. The reverse process is that we put those temporary shipping walls back into the building. You know, if this is an end unit, then one side of it will get wrapped in plastic to protect it from the elements. Um, if it's a middle unit, then obviously we do both sides. Each unit has typically its own tire axle and hitch system. So we're not looking at flatbeds coming in or low boys coming in. You know, the traditional modular building has a hitch and a truck will hook up to it and it'll get hauled off. That being said, there are temporary buildings that have been quote unquote temporary for 30 years. Can they still be moved apart? You know, absolutely. I get back to my, one of my original statements is these are designed to go down the highway at 70 miles an hour. You know, these are not wobbly boxes. Typically, you know, over the life of a, of a modular building, and again, depending on how you use it, how it was built, whether it's in the north with snow loads or not, but it's, it's very conceivable that a building will last between 20 and 30 years and it'll be moved four or five times within that lifespan. Final note I want to end on is talking about the pricing for all of this. It's not something that we've brought up. I mean, we, we have briefly brought up that it is cheaper than a classic construction project, but I want to try to ground that even more. How are current economic trends from the broader disruption of the global supply chain with COVID to everything from material sourcing and use cases, how are all of these dynamics impacting pricing today for a temporary modular building project? And how accessible are they to uh, private or public orgs compared to other types of construction or other temporary space options like uh, you know, uh, portable deployments of portables, uh, yeah, w whatever those other options might look like. You know, one of the big differences with modular, especially if you're looking at, a, at you know, a, a stage program versus a stick-built uh, construction. With stick-built, you're going to take out a construction loan and, you know, the equivalent of a mortgage on that building, and, and you're stuck with it. With a modular building, on the upfronts, you're going to pay in segments. So, you, you'll pay a deposit, you'll pay a certain percentage when the building is completed at the factory. And then you'll pay a percentage, and this is on a, a purchase, you'll pay a percentage of that price when the building is accepted um, for you for use. Many modular companies offer internal financing packages that will help people out. Again, if you look at a lease, there are many, many advantages to leasing a building. The first of, of which is that there's no cost of land, typically. If we're putting a modular building, we're bringing it to your site, you know, you've already either leased that land or you've purchased that land. So you have no cost of dirt in the process. Um, the second part of this, which is not necessarily economical, but does make a difference, is that we are bringing the building to you, right? In many cases today, the alternative would be I go and I, I rent out a, a vacant big box store somewhere, or I go find space in town, and now I have a shuttle bus, and I have you know, inefficiencies if I want to have meetings with my, my employees. So, you know, the ability to bring the building to somebody is very, very important. With respect to, you know, the public, 
many of the banks now understand um, how modular buildings work. When it, they first became you know, more accepted and prevalent in the call it mid 80s and, and early 90s, many financial institutions didn't know if, if this acted like equipment, if it acted like real estate, what were the residual values in case of some you know, credit um, issue that they may have. But now because of time and because of, of the uh, size of the industry, you know, there's a good database for um, people to look at and say, okay, I know that these buildings are going to hold their value um, and I know that they're movable. So in the case of a credit issue, I can move them. And so a lot more um, financial institutions are more uh, open to, to lending um, for modular buildings. And especially, you know, when you look at the modular methodology and you think of something as being, you know, in the case of a Marriott, five months quicker to revenue. Uh, if you're a bank, you know, being five months quicker to revenue, that's a good thing. All right, Peter, I think that wraps up our conversation for today. Any final thoughts, any, uh, you know, imparting words of wisdom that you want to leave on our audience as they consider potentially either as a company, potentially expanding their services if they offer modular construction or as an end user looking to potentially use a temporary modular building for one of their needs? I'd be very grateful and thankful for anybody who considers modular as, as whether it's a temporary building or is their construction methodology. I would invite them to visit our website at vanguardmodular.com um, or I would invite them to give us a call and you know we'll arrange so that they can have a tour of a modular building that's in close proximity of where they are. I mean, these are fantastic uh, buildings with a great amount of flexibility, both from a physical standpoint and an economic standpoint. And it doesn't cost you anything to at least consider them for your next building uh, program. And Daniel, I'd like to thank you for the invitation today and for your time. It's greatly appreciated, sir. Absolutely. Thank you again for your time as well. Audience, again, we've been chatting with Peter Eberly, President and CEO of Vanguard Modular Building Systems. Peter, appreciate your time and looking forward to chatting again soon. Thank you, sir. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Built Modular. If you'd like to listen to previous upcoming episodes or any other content by Vanguard, you can head to our website at vanguardmodular.com. I also encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you're leaving a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.